from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, he says, do not fear, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew's account of the birth of the Messiah includes several different prophecies that the Old Testament prophets had said would happen. Most notably, it includes the prophecy that Isaiah prophesied about, among others, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7:14 says this, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel." There's a lot of power in the names that we have, isn't there? There's a lot of meaning and importance in the names that we are given. Like your name or not, it describes who you are. And as time goes on, it becomes something of your identity. Names are powerful and they're important. There's a recent study by marketing professor Jacob Goldenberg and other colleagues of his, and they found that the names that we are given at birth have so much to do with who we become, how we're known, and even potentially what we look like. He says this, we argue, he and his team, that once a baby receives a name, that their social label or name leads to certain social expectations, inferences, and interactions. The social attitude that a name triggers and its influence on one's identity may affect the individual self-perception and development of traits which eventually may be realized in his or her own facial appearance. If you've ever seen someone and you knew their name and you thought that is exactly 
that person's name, their first name. You get what I'm talking about. One other study showed that statistically, our names may even determine a bit about who we become as people. It may determine and kind of cause us to have different aspects about our future changed if we had had a different name potentially. For instance, at the eighth or ninth month out of law school, law students, future lawyers with simpler names, get this, lawyers with simpler names have a 7 to 10% greater chance of becoming partner in a law firm than those with complex and interesting and different names. So if you're a Tom or a David or a Mike and you don't like your name and you want to be a lawyer, there's a good possibility you might become a partner one day or at least greater than the others the same study showed that when asked to circle six of the favorite letters of the alphabet 50 percent of people will circle the letter that their first name begins with among the six interesting isn't it and i think this is the favorite one that this study showed and many studies show is that People who give to a hurricane will naturally uh, give to a greater degree to the hurricane that's named with the first letter of their own name. So those of you who have like A through M every year, it's a struggle, right? You feel like you have to always give, except this year, we're all, we all joined in that. We all joined in that. Names are powerful and they're important. Names are powerful. And they're important. And here in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew does something that is so interesting and unique. And he, he does it in an intricate way and, and format. He, he walks through the genealogy of Jesus. And in doing so, he names the names, the first names of the ancestors of Jesus. He breaks the, the ancestry, the genealogy of Jesus into three 14-generation segments that loosely follows different things, or, or, uh, three different ways that God's people uh, dealt with God and the way that God dealt with his people. And he mentions these names over and over and over again, even dealing with Joseph. I don't know if you noticed that, but when the angel visits Joseph, uh, they mention Joseph's name, but then also they call him the son of David. Names are powerful, and they're important. And here we see two names that the Messiah is given in this passage. He talks, Matthew does, about the fact that in fact, the angel tells Joseph, you shall call him Jesus. And the name Jesus, the original name, the meaning of the name means the Lord will save us. And even in the name of Jesus, we see the Old Testament prophecy fulfilled that this one, this one, this one that we just sang about, this one is the Lord will save us. And then we see the name Emmanuel. It says, and they shall call him this Jesus, this Messiah, Emmanuel. And it even gives a description. It gives the, the, the description of what the name Emmanuel means. It means God with us. Names are powerful and they're meaningful and they're important. 
Your name and its meaning is powerful and it's meaningful and it's important. Even if you don't love your name, it's powerful and it's meaningful and important. And in the, the angel in this description of Jesus' birth, when, when Matthew describes this, the angel telling Joseph to call him Jesus sets the stage for God's son to be on mission because he came to save. I love how Stephanie described it and how we sang about it today, that he came as a baby to save the world. When we look at Advent and we're in this series called The Arrival, looking back at the birth of Jesus and we're looking forward to his future return one day, whenever that day will be, I love the fact that he came as a baby, humble to save us. And one day he will return as king to eliminate all the evil in the world and for those of us who believe in him to live forever with him. And so he is still the coming king. But he came as a baby. Jesus, the Lord, saves us. Why did God send Jesus? Why did God send Jesus? Why did he send his son and put him on this mission? Even with his name, he put him on this mission. He sent Jesus into this world to eliminate the very thing that separates us from God. And that's our sin. He sent Jesus into this world to save us from the thing that we need salvation for the most, and that's our sin, the thing that separates us from God. God sent Jesus into this world, and he defeated death so that one day we could have eternal life with God in heaven when we die. It's the gospel message. In short, when he was given that name, the Lord will save us. It set everything in motion. God sent Jesus into this world because he loves the world. And today, that's where we're going to land. It's our word for the day. It's our Advent word for the day, today. If we were lighting the third candle of Advent today, we would talk about the word, and the word is love. We've talked about hope. We've talked about peace. And today, we come to this aspect of love. And I think that we can all agree that the world, when Jesus came into the world as a baby to save the world, the world needed love. We've talked a lot about that over the past couple of weeks. The world needed love. It was at war. There was conflict. There were rumors of war even back then. There were things happening in the world, and the world needed God to love the world. And I think we can also agree that we find ourselves in this year, in 2020, in a situation that the world needs the love of God, perhaps more than any other time before. We need God's love. We need his love, that reckless love that we just sang about, that love that goes further than we can ever go. It goes longer than we can ever imagine. And God, in sending his son as a baby to save the world, he expressed his great love for humanity. But the world today needs his love. And when Jesus comes back, whether it's today or whether it's a thousand years in the future or 10,000 years in the future, uh, he, is, he is going to send him back to be that conquering king because he loves the world. When you consider all that's going to take place 
as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return, it's hard to imagine that love describes what God is doing. But I want you to keep your mind open and your heart open because I think you'll see that he does. At the time of Jesus' second return, whenever that is, the world is going to be in a terrible place. It's going to be unimaginable. Matthew 26, Jesus himself speaking here in verses 6 and 7, he's describing what this will be to his followers. And Matthew 24 and 25 is what's called the Olivet Discourse. It's when Jesus is giving the description of his second coming, when he will come again to reign as king. And he says this in verses 6 and 7 of Matthew 24, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says this, see that you are not alarmed. Don't be surprised, he says, for this must take place, but the end, it's not yet. He's essentially saying that as we get closer to his return, that things will get worse and worse and worse, and there'll be wars and rumors of wars, but he goes on to describe a little more in detail for nation, verse 7, will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. It does kind of sound like 2020, doesn't it? And we add a few things in there ourselves to make it even worse, don't we? As humanity, sometimes even as the church, even in our personal lives. A day is coming that's going to look much worse than today. A day is coming that's going to look much worse than yesterday did. A day is coming as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus when there are going to be dark days. It is going to be ominous. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) When you think about those days, you wonder, what in the world is God doing? Why would it be this way? It's because even in the Old Testament, the prophets told us that it would be this way. Jesus is confirming that, and he himself is giving prophecy, but he is the Lord who saves. And so he saved us as a baby. He will also save us as a coming king. And part of what God is going to do when he comes back in his second coming is he's going to judge the earth. He is going to judge us. He's going to act as judge. Part of what Jesus' role is upon his second arrival is to judge the world. And that does not seem very loving, especially in our day and age where we don't want anyone to judge anyone, particularly ourselves, especially ourselves. At the top of the list, ourselves. Don't judge me, bro. Right? It's our society. It's our culture. But Jesus is coming back for the purpose of judging the world. It's interesting when you look at what is going to happen in the future, part of what's going to happen in the future. The Old Testament and the New Testament tells us that he is going to judge the world. Even back in Psalm 45, verse 6, check this out. It says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. In the NIV, it says, your scepter, uh, your uh, last forever and ever, a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. But I want you to hear today, even though Jesus is coming back, and part of what he's going to do is to judge the world, is to judge us. And we'll talk about that in a minute and more about what that means, because that sounds ominous and unloving. We'll talk about what that means. I want you to know that he is a God of justice, but he is also a God who is 
merciful in his judgment. He's merciful in his judgment. You see, because if he is the God who established justice, if he is a just God, if he is the God of judgment, then he can be the one who is a merciful judge. James 2 verse 13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But look at what it says next. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And God, throughout the course of human history, God, throughout the course of the people of God, the Jewish people, the Israelites, the people of Judah and the people of Israel, in the course of their history, they would deny God and they would disobey God and they'd be unfaithful to God and they would repent and he would receive them back. He would forgive them over and over and over And church, we are a part of that today in this age. We're a part of that, and our history is the same. We disobey and we disappoint and we rebel against God, and then we realize it and we come back to him. And what does he do over and over and over again? He shows us mercy. He forgives us. See, the God who is the judge, the God who is the one who judges, he is the God of mercy. And so the God of justice is, in fact, merciful. The God of justice is, in fact, merciful. I had a college professor that once said that you, you can't have the love of God without God being the God of justice. You can't have the mercy of God without him being the one who put into place the the basis for which that mercy exists. He is a merciful God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, upon his second coming, is going to begin to judge in a series of judgments. We believe, I believe, that the church will be taken up first in the rapture. I believe that the church, those of us who are Christians, will be taken up with him. The Bible talks about that. Those who have been Christians who have already passed away will be raptured up with him. But then Jesus will begin a series of judgments, one of which is the judgment seat of Christ. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5.10. By the way, all these notes are online if you want to check them out and do further research because I'm not going to go into too much detail today on the specifics of this. But the judgment seat of Christ is the judgment where we as believers are judged. Now, here's the really great news, church. Here's the really great news. Those of you who are Christ followers, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in this room, those of you who have chosen to believe in Jesus, you're not going to be judged based on your sins because Jesus did that on the cross. He took your sins on the cross, and there is no condemnation anymore because of what he did. Are you with me, church? So we are judged based on what we will do and what we are doing in our lives for the kingdom of God. And that's the judgment seat of Christ. He's not going to judge us based on our sins. He's going to judge us based on what we have done for him. It's why here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, we talk so much about being involved in kingdom work and sharing the gospel 
making an impact and doing good in our community. And after we're raptured, there's going to be a series of judgments during this period called the tribulation. It's about seven years. It's a seven-year period of time where the world is going to continue to get worse and worse and worse before his return. But even during that period of time, those who weren't raptured up, those who don't believe, those who don't yet believe in Jesus will be given the opportunity to accept him as their savior. Especially during those first three years, the second three years, it's going to get increasingly harder. But we even see the mercy of God in that. During that period of time, there's going to be seven seals. Revelation talks about that in Revelation 6, seven trumpets and seven bowls. Those are series of, of, of judgments. There's going to be the judgment of nations. And some of you are like, man, when John wrote Revelation, what was he doing? What was he thinking? But you know, God inspired him, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write the revelation of Jesus so that we won't be surprised. The Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to know when, but it does say we're supposed to be ready. We shouldn't be caught off guard when he returns. And then there's the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment that's described in Revelation verses 7 through 4 where those who don't believe will be judged for their unbelief. And I want you to hear today that when that judgment happens, my prayer for you, for all of us who are listening, whether you're listening online or here in the house, is, is that you have believed because that's the judgment that you don't want. To be judged for your unbelief. I want to just stop for a moment and appeal to those of you who may have not put your faith in Jesus. That there is a day coming and it could happen in a, in a blink of an eye, the Bible says. When all of these things will begin to happen. And my appeal to you, my invitation to you is before it's too late to put your faith in him. To trust him. As your savior. Don't miss out. And so when I talk about all of these things. I'm sure some of you are like. You got to be kidding me. This is like crazy. It's like a horror story. It's so ominous. Jesus even talks about it in an ominous, ominous way. All these judgments. How in the world can we see God's love. In all of this. It doesn't seem. Like he loves us. But you know, we just sang about his amazing love, didn't we? And the psalmist in Psalm 103 verse 10 says this. says, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. And I say, thank God that he is a God who has offered forgiveness. Because I need it all the time. I need it every day. I need it every day. I need to be forgiven. And I'm so thankful that he is a loving and a gracious God and that even all of these things that seem so ominous show how much he loves us. Can you remember a time when you were growing up when you got caught for doing something that you weren't supposed to do or maybe for not doing something that you were supposed to do and you got in trouble? I just want you to think about a time for a moment. I, I have a flood of them that come into my mind. I remember um, that my dad was pretty tough on me. He was pretty tough on me. My mom, 
much more merciful. My parents were tough. They had a high standard. Any of you have parents with high standards? All right, I'm raising my hand. My dad can see me, so the, the least you can do is like agree with me on this. If you, all right, all right, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Some of you gave the uh, you know, hand raise just for mercy for me. Thank you. Anyway, I, listen, my parents were tough. I'm sure that I'm a little bit tough on my kids too sometimes. Because I think about that, there were times that my dad was tough on me so that I could learn a lesson if I did something I wasn't supposed to do, if I stayed out after curfew, or if I didn't do the right thing on the car, or if I, was, if I didn't get good grades because I didn't study. Like, my dad was tough on me, and I'm thankful for that today in my life. Not all of it, but most of it <laughs> I'm thankful for. But I remember one time, I remember one time I was so scared to come home from college it's so my freshman year, it was about this time of year, and in all of my academic career, I had never gotten, I'd never received, never have since, a D in a class. And this is something you didn't do in the Cullen House. And I wasn't the greatest student at all. I wasn't the greatest academic student. I was terrified to come home. It was microeconomics. I didn't understand it then, still don't understand it today. I probably would still get a D in it, but I was terrified to come home. And this was back in the day before the internet. Yes, millennials, there was a day before the internet. It did exist. And I remember thinking, that little slip of paper is going to come home in the mail any day over Christmas break. And he's going to find out, so I might as well just go ahead and tell him. It was my first night home. We went out to eat. I remember where we were. We were at a Chili's in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And I just, just came right out. It was me and my dad. And I said, hey, Dad, I just needed you to know I, I got a D. And I was ready. I was like, all right, here we go, man. Like, I'm going to be in the house for two weeks. Like, I'm going to be doing, like, work for him, like, whatever he wants. I'm going to be in quarantine before quarantine was, like, the thing, right? Like, I thought I am going to be home for all of Christmas break inside the house. I'll never see the light of day. Never. won't see my friends. I was, like, prepared. Money. What, you want some money? Like, I'll pay you for the D. Like, what, what do we need to do here? I was ready, and my dad looked at me across the table. Yes. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, I about fell out of my seat. I'm like, is this really? But in that moment, he knew how much I was struggling in school. And he knew that I needed mercy extended to me. And my dad in that moment showed me the mercy of God when he looks at us and he does not see our sin. If we believe, he sees righteousness because we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ once we become Christ followers. God is a God of justice and he shows mercy when we don't deserve it. He's a God of justice because he offers forgiveness when we should pay a penalty. God is a God of justice and in his mercy, in that merciful judgment, he showed the greatest act of love. See, Jesus' purpose in his arrival is to bring love to a loveless world. And the fact is, is that things are going to get worse and worse and worse. In church, at the very least, we shouldn't be surprised. At best, we should be fully ready for his return. The good news is, is that after these series of judgments, he sets up, by the way, he wins. He wins this great battle. You've probably heard of it, Armageddon. That's not like something that Hollywood made up. That's 
in the Bible. And he wins, and he sets up a thousand-year reign, and then past that, we enter into eternity as believers. And that thousand-year reign and eternity with God is a time forever that is void of evil. And it's going to be great. And that's the love of Jesus, the returning king. That's the mercy of God, the returning king. Jesus' purpose in his arrival is to bring love to a loveless world. Matthew 1, 24 and 25, when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and Joseph did what the angel said, and they called his name Jesus. The Lord will save. The Lord will save. Names are powerful and important, and love has a name, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. But we're asking the question in this series called The Arrival, what do we do while we wait? What do we do with hope while we wait? What do we do with peace while we wait? What do we do with love while we wait? The first thing that I want you to hear is that we, as people, need to realize that we need to accept God's love. John 3, 16, probably the most familiar verse in all of Scripture, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. And I need to stop for a moment, and I want to tell those of you who may be in this room today, that today could be your day of salvation. It could be the day that you accept Jesus as your Savior. And my challenge to you is while you wait, while we wait, the first order of business is to choose God's love. Choose his love. Choose to believe in him. Choose to accept him. Choose to realize that we are hopeless without his love, but we are full of hope with it. My challenge is that you would choose God's love. While, what do we do while we wait? Church, this is what we do while we wait. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus said it best. He says this, and he said to them, to his followers, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And he goes on and he says, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What do we do while we wait? Two things that there, I believe, once we've chosen to accept God's love, the next thing we do, choose to love him back. Choose to love God. To get to know him. To spend time with him. The church always talks about going deeper with him. That's fine. I get that. Going deeper into his word is really good. But if we do it for knowledge's sake, we're missing it. We need to do it to get to know him so that we can emulate him. So we know what he did and we can do it for others. And that's the third thing that we do while we wait. And that's choose to love others. Choose to love others. What do we do while we wait? We choose God's love. We choose to love God. And we choose to love others. Now, can we admit that in 2020, that is extraordinarily difficult? Like it was already 
difficult in 2019, but the events of 2020 has made it exponentially more difficult to love other people. Am I right? I mean, I ain't lying here, right? As my kids say, he's not wrong. It's hard. It's hard. It is hard to love other people. And the church looks at Jesus' second coming and the tension that exists is that we want to tell the truth, which is great. We should be telling the truth that it is going to be difficult. And we should always tell the truth that it is going to be difficult. And there are going to be judgments. But we also, in our attitude and in our actions and in our in interactions with others, should always choose love. Because Jesus chose it with us, didn't he? He chose it with me. I can be pretty difficult. You can ask my family. I can be pretty difficult. You can ask my staff. Maybe don't ask them. Ask my family. They're not here today, so that's why I'm saying that. <laughs> but I can be pretty difficult in my relationship with God. I can be cranky, impatient, demanding, angry, and he chose love me and if that's not motivation for us to love others I don't know what is church love has a name and his name is Jesus while we wait we choose his love we choose to love him and we choose to love others that's how we can be prepared that's how we cannot be surprised. That's how we can be patient and faithful while we wait on his return. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the great love that you have for your children. God, I thank you that you are a merciful judge. That when you come again one day, you're going to judge in mercy. And there are so many small things in your second coming, so many nuances that demonstrate your love, even during the tribulation, the fact that people will be able to accept you demonstrates your love. Oh, one of the great, most gracious things that you have ever done is as the merciful judge extended your mercy when we least deserve it. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that you came as a baby to save the world. Father, I thank you that you are coming one day as king and that in your breath you will bring evil to an end. Father, I thank you that we get to live with you forever. But in the now, in the meantime, while we wait, Father God, I pray that you would help those who are listening, who don't know you yet, who haven't chosen to believe in you yet. Father, I pray that they would not run out of time. Father, I pray that they would just decide today to make you their Savior, not because of fear or intimidation, but out of the great love that you showed to us. 
If you're in this place with every head bowed and every eye closed and you've never put your faith in Jesus to be your Savior, if you're watching or listening online, whether it's live or somewhere down in the future, and you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, there's nothing that's more important than this right now, right now, in this moment. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Maybe right now your heart's beating a little bit faster. Maybe you just got a little bit nervous because you've considered believing in the past, but you've never actually taken that step. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when that day comes, whichever day comes first, the time that your physical life here on earth ends or that time when we have that final judgment, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're going to be with him in heaven one day. I'm going to invite you if you want to make that decision to believe in Jesus, to pray this prayer. There's nothing magical about the words. What's important is your heart. It's a prayer that goes like this. Thank you, God, for being merciful. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Today, I choose to believe in you. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer in this place, just in the quietness of this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand for a moment. I promise you I won't embarrass you. Just raise your hand for a moment. Awesome. Anyone else? Pray that prayer in the room. Awesome. Those of you who are watching online, whether you're at home right now or maybe you're watching later on or you're listening to the podcast in the car, if you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to, to direct message us, to go on our website, go to info at hiltonheadislandcc.org and let us know of your decision. If you prayed that prayer in the room today, please go back to the Connection Center, back by the Christmas tree in the back, and talk to our pastor, Matt. He's back there. He's going to be back there after the service. He would love to talk with you. Father, I thank you for those who said yes to you today. God, I thank you for the four who said yes to you today in the past service in this room. And God, I thank you for those who did here in this place today, God. And I thank you so much for the fact that we can have hope for the future because of your love. And God, when the days get dark, and they will get dark, Father, I pray that we would lean on your love. God, I pray that we would lean on your love, that we would remember that you're doing all of this to take away the very thing that separates us from you. Father, we thank you for that. Help us, help us to love you back. Help us to make time with you an important part of our everyday lives. God, most of all, I pray that you would allow that love to overflow and that we would love others just the way that you loved us. Thank you for your first coming as a child to save us. And we look forward to your return as king to rule and to reign in peace forevermore. We give you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.